It's gone very quiet. Is there any children left in here? Yes, good. Childlike heart, that's wonderful, Rena. While our children are going out into regulars, let me introduce myself. My name's San. I'm holding this very awkwardly at the moment, but don't worry, I'm not going to stay like this. I'm going to tuck it into my pocket in a minute. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here as well, work with Paul. It's a privilege to be preaching this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, please turn to Matthew's Gospel. If you're not familiar with the Bible, or you, ha- you actually don't know what the Bible is, don't worry, it's going to come up on the screen, the words that I'm going to be reading from today. But if you have one with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew's Gospel. Chapter 26. Get myself plugged in, that'll help. Okay. Many of you will know that we as a church have been going through a preaching series through 1 Timothy. Today we are shelving that just for a week. Paul, when he's preaching next week, will pick the series back up. Today uh, I felt just to do a bit of a standalone message, if you like. And it's from Matthew's Gospel. Today we're going to be looking at the Lord's Supper. Not the Last Supper. It was during the Last Supper, but it's the Lord's Supper. So it's going to be a themed preach. Uh, you might have known as the Lord's Supper, called, you might call it communion. You might be here this morning and you're like, hey, why don't we call it communion? Or you might know it as bread and wine or breaking bread. I've entitled this morning the Lord's Supper and we're going to tuck everything under that. Today I have three headings. You probably know me by now to have three headings or sometimes four. Occasionally I slip in 17 headings. Um, we're going to hang everything off three headings today. And like last week, I'm going to be super creative. It's what, how, who. <laughs> I, I think you like that. Firstly, we're going to look at what is the Lord's Supper. And then we're going to look at how should we take the Lord's Supper. And then we're going to finish with an application. Who is it for? So it's pretty, I want to be as simplistic and as clear as I possibly can this morning. So let's look at the first heading. What is the Lord's Supper? Well, I think to understand this fuller, we need to see it in a wider context. So we're going to go back several hundred years, several thousand years from today, but several hundred years from when Jesus was speaking to his friends. I did this last week as well, didn't I? I've forgotten to read the, the verses. One of you could have said, why didn't you read the verses? You've let me do it again. You've let me do it again. Well... Matthew 26. It's given you enough time to turn to Matthew by now, I'm sure. You've probably read the whole chapter. Matthew 26, verses 17 to 30, but I'm just going to pull out a few verses from there and I'll let you know as we go. So, verse 17, it will come up on the screen behind me. Sorry, Jan. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, otherwise known as the Passover, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for the, to eat the Passover? He, that is Jesus, replied, go into the city and go to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did just as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. Now can we jump forward to verse 26? So while they were eating, while they were eating, while they were celebrating the Passover, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it 
And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks for it. And he offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Just imagine Jesus doing that. I tell you the truth. I tell you that I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day I drink it with you anew in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Lord Jesus, I ask for your grace this morning. Thank you for an amazing time of worship. Thank you that we can connect to you, we can sing wonderful truths to you about who you are, what you've done. I pray this morning as we look at this subject, breaking bread, the Lord's Supper, bread and wine, I pray would you change lives here today. Please, Lord Jesus, make it meaningful for us today, for your precious name and for your glory. Amen. So we're going to look at these headings. What is it? How should we take it? And who is it for? First heading, what is it? Like I've said, we need to jump back to this thing called the Passover. So I want to give you just a little bit of background about the Passover. Not long. It was, the Passover is the oldest of the Jewish festivals and it's celebrated at twilight on the 14th day of the first month and then for seven following days. Now what the Passover represented was freedom for the Jews, freedom from captivity for the Israelites, their escape from Egypt, their escape from the hand of Pharaoh, this slavery, this fierce dictator. You remember last week I touched on slavery. I spoke about slavery. Today, let's look at it again. The Passover is about how the Jews were released from an oppressive slavery. God had spoken and God had promised to deliver his people. If you know your Bibles, if you know the stories, who did he speak to? You you can shout it out. Moses. He spoke to Moses. Who did he ask to go and speak to Pharaoh? Moses. So he called Moses and he said, this is what I'm going to do, Moses, but by the way, Moses, you're going to do it. And, and, and as you know, Moses was pretty fearful. He was, who am I? Who, what kind of man am I to do this? But Moses was the guy chosen by God. He went to Pharaoh with a message. And this was it. Let my people go. I've got a message from God. I'm paraphrasing. Let my people go. Pharaoh didn't seem to oblige. At first, he dismissed several requests, but God kept up in the ante. He kept saying, let my people go, and Pharaoh kept saying, no, no, they're my people. So God upped the ante and he sent a series of plagues, plague of blood, what must that have looked like? This plague of blood, a plague of frogs, Gnats, flies, livestock, killed. A series of plagues, because every time Pharaoh said no, God said, well, I'm up in the ante. Until you let my people go, I'm going to show you who's God. And in the end, there was this plague of death. And this is how we get to the Passover. That God thought enough is enough. And then he gives Moses and his brother Aaron these series of instructions in Exodus 12. We're not going to turn there, but if you look at Exodus 12, you see how the Passover pans out, how it comes about. Moses gathers all the elders of Israel together, 
just going to give you a bullet point summary. And he says to all the elders, this is what you're to do. Each one of you, for your household, to represent your tribe, your family, you're to take a lamb, a perfect, a good lamb. Pick yourself a good lamb. One of these New Zealand lambs. (laughs) They're good ones. Kill that lamb, and then you're to take the blood of that lamb to your house, and you're to paint the blood on the door frames and above the door and the side of the door frame. So basically the whole door frame, cover it with blood. And then you go into your house and you stay there. Do we, do we come, when do, stay in your house until morning. Because the Lord is going to go through Egypt and he's going to strike. And wherever he sees blood, he will pass over. But where he doesn't see blood, he will strike. And he says to Moses, he's going to strike from the highest point, Pharaoh, and the lowest point, the person in the dungeon. No one escapes. So get blood on your doorposts. Ultimately, God's people do escape. From that point, when this angel of the Lord, at midnight, the angel, everyone got into their homes and the angel, the Lord struck The Lord went through Egypt and he struck the firstborn. The firstborn of every household. The one that was going to get the inheritance. Not only the firstborn of the human, but the firstborn of the livestock. So basically it's saying everything significant is going to get whacked and going to get destroyed. So at this point Pharaoh's like, oh no, go, just go. So they escape, if you know the story. So Moses rallies everyone together and they head off. But then Pharaoh goes, nah, no, again. So he comes after them. And if you know the story, they get to the Red Sea, the Red Sea parts, Moses and all the people go ahead, go through, Pharaoh tries to come in behind, God closes it, and everyone gets washed away. Ultimately, the Passover means a great escape for God's people. That's what the Passover represents. It's an annual reminder, a celebration with a meal that they they do over days that represents or commemorates this story of this great escape, this great exodus, how God's people escaped. So, I needed to give you that background to see in the context when we read in the Gospel of Matthew, this is on the eve of Jesus getting killed. And what's interesting, he's getting killed on the Passover, over the Passover period. So it's really significant So on the eve of Jesus being crucified, he's celebrating the Passover as a Jew. Jesus is a Jew. And he's celebrating this great escape with his friends, his disciples. And then he pulls this one out of the bag. While we're eating, I want to tell you a few things. And this is what he says. He took bread and he gave thanks for it and he he, he broke it and he gave it to his friends. And then he took a cup and gave thanks for it and, and there was wine and and he said drink of it all of you this is my blood of the new covenant you remember we're sitting here remembering from years gone by I'm telling you that we're going to be drinking of something brand new something brand new is about to take place effectively Jesus is saying or hinting towards I am now your Passover meal that's who I am I'm going to become your Passover dinner. While we're looking back, remembering, I want us to look forward to something brand new that's about to happen. The New Testament shows us a very clear redemptive connection 
between the old covenant Passover supper and the new covenant Lord's supper. Bread and wine. So it's absolutely massive when Jesus says, this is my body. It's huge. Take and eat. This is my blood that's going to be poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sin. Body broken. In Isaiah 53, if you know your Bibles, it says, He, that is Jesus, He was crushed for our iniquities. How easily do you read over that? You, you, he was crushed for your iniquity and it says the punishment that brought you peace, me peace, was upon him and by his wounds were healed. His blood shed elsewhere in Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our iniquities. Nails driven through his hands and his feet, a spear thrust through his side, he was pierced for our iniquities, our transgressions. And John the Baptist, funny chap, brilliant guy, would have loved to have met him. Want some locusts and some wild honey? Yes, please, John. John the Baptist, when Jesus is first on the scene, what were his words? He sees him with all the people around and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the Lord's Supper, bread and wine, represents Jesus' body broken and his blood shed for the forgiveness of the nations. Jesus is the sacrifice lamb. He is the one whose blood has been shed. He is the one whose blood has been painted on the cross. And anyone who stands underneath and receives him, death passes over. How can we say so confidently that our brother Alan is in glory with our king in heaven because death has passed over him? He's fallen asleep and he's woken up in glory. That's the gospel. So Passover, we do it in remembrance. Passover, an annual reminder of God's, the Jews' rescue, annual, the Lord's Supper, ongoing ongoing reminder of the forgiveness of sins to the nations of the world. You and me. You and me. I'm not a Jew and I can receive forgiveness of sins. Heading two. So that's what it is. It's a reminder of Jesus. Heading two. How should we take it? Bread and wine is not optional. I want to camp it in the same category as baptism. It's a sacrament that the church needs to observe It's not an optional extra, like baptism, it's for those that have put their faith in Christ. It's an obedient step. It's to be right at the heart of the Christian faith. It needs to be very central to what we do as a church. It's not just random. We do dot it in across the the year, across the months, but it's not just flick... Random. It's got to be built into what we are, who we are, what we're about. Bread and wine is so significant for us. It's not just what we do, it's who we are. It needs to be in the structure of our diary and our plans. We never leave it out. So with this in mind, this should be our attitude towards it. Firstly, we take it seriously. We take it seriously. Bread and wine is, I want to say this, it's not the literal body and blood of Jesus 
what we're going to have in a few moments is pita bread cut up in nice chunks and some juice. What we don't believe, what I certainly don't believe, is somehow that magically transforms into Jesus' body and his blood. Some do believe that, I don't. But we take it seriously. We take it very seriously. It represents something huge. It's not just tradition either. It's not just a tradition. Oh, that's what the church do. It's hugely meaningful, massively spiritual. It's significant in any way, every way. So, firstly, we, we take it seriously. Secondly, it's celebratory. We celebrate. It's joyful. In Acts 2, it says, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with what? Glad and sincere hearts. It didn't say they sat there and mourned and grieved. It says they sat there and they broke bread with glad and sincere hearts. Did you feel that during worship? When you can sing to your risen king... He's alive. With glad and sincere hearts, we can take bread and wine later and say, Jesus, you reign and rule. You're amazing. Bread and wine isn't intended to be a sombre affair where we're at a friend's funeral, but instead like we've won the FA Cup and we're going to rock this place. Thank you. We're not going to be irreverent, but we're going to celebrate. I want to keep three things in mind as we look at this heading. How should we receive it? This, I hope, will keep it central and meaningful and joyful and help it be significant for you. We look at past, present and future. We look back to the past, we look currently to the present and we look ahead to the future. So when we take bread and wine, I want you to have this in your minds, in your hearts. Firstly, past. It says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Has. Phil Moore, a guy that writes brilliant commentaries, they're really good, he says on the final evening before his crucifixion, he, Jesus, he taught his followers to share bread and wine together as a restatement of the message of the cross. He wanted each succeeding generation to do the same as a graphic regular reminder of the centrality of his death and his resurrection. Remember, two sides of the same coin. Killed for our sin, risen for our salvation. So when taking the bread and wine, we look back to the cross, past, and we restate the message of the gospel, the message of the cross. We've got to get close enough to the cross again, as John Stott says, so we let the fire, the embers, fall on us. Get close to the cross. When you take the bread and wine, you are saying, Jesus, you died for me. You died for all of my junk. You did it for me. You've done it. You've done it. (laughs) He's done it. It's finished. He was sacrificed. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God. The only sacrifice pleasing to God. And it says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he, Jesus, he had no sin, right? But he became sin for you. It's amazing. The message of the gospel is truly amazing. You cannot get away from it. You try and get away from it. Yeah, but what about, he became sin for you. So that what? So that you might become the righteousness of God. Do you know how amazing and wonderful that is? That you here this morning, if you've put your faith in him, whatever you've done last night, you are the righteousness of God. 
The righteousness of God. You stand right... I thought I was going to fall off the stage then. You stand right before God. I better move on. So past, as we take bread and wine, we look back. Present, we assess now. We examine now. Present. Jesus is still our Passover lamb. He never runs out. I love roast lamb. But sometimes it just runs out. As a Greek man, I am commanded to love roast lamb. In my household, you say to my nan, like my big fat Greek wedding, I'm sorry when Brian came with us. Brian's a vegetarian, he's not. He can't, she would just be like, that's okay, today I cook lamb. There's just no, no, it's not even going to respond. It's not even going to register. I jest, but Jesus will never run out for you. Jesus will never run dry. He will never leave you, abandon you, forsake you. He is today your Passover lamb. His blood is sufficient for you today. Whoever you are, his blood is there for you. His blood is poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sin. So we remember in the present, we keep the cross central. Every time we eat, we refocus and we say, I can only do it because of you. I'm only here because of you. I can only get saved through you. My life is your life. Your life is my life. Present. Bread and wine helps us identify with Christ in the present. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. It's one of my favourite verses. Because however I find myself, I say, Santino, you have been crucified with Christ. You no longer live but Jesus Christ lives in you. So taking bread and wine in the present, you say, I'm in Christ. I'm in him. So every time you remember God's amazing, unconditional favour and grace over your life. He's a wonderful saviour. If you don't know him this morning, you're going to know him. I want you to know him this morning. He's a wonderful saviour. He's been so good to me. It's also time to examine ourselves. In 1 Corinthians it says, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. I think we, we flippantly ignore this. We are to examine ourselves. We don't just come up as a conveyor belt like sheep, bah, all in a line, I take my bit and then I go back. It's a time to examine what's actually going on in your life. There is grace for you today, but it's time to examine. When we take it, it's a good focal point to ask yourself some searching questions. What's going on? What's happening in my life? What's happening in my world? How am I doing? Are things okay? Am I still living for God? Am I still zealous for him? Is he still my Lord? He is my saviour. I can't get away from that. But is he still my Lord? Have I put him on the lordship throne of my life? Are there things I need to deal with and get right? Is it time for me to do business this morning with God? To do business with one another? Is there unforgiveness? We get reconnected with God. When we take bread and wine we can say, I'm looking to you. I'm looking to you this morning. And I want to examine my life. Phil Moore also says, the Lord's Supper is not superstition 
but nor is it mere symbolism. It's a regular reminder, a regular outward confession to Jesus that we draw our life from his death alone. So we examine ourselves and we say, today I'm drawing my life from your life. Future, last point before we rapidly move on. Future. So we've got past, present, future. We have been saved. I want to be super clear on that. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you have been saved. Done. Past, present, you're, you're being saved. You're in this conveyor belt of him changing you day by day by day, being saved. Future, you will one day wonderfully be saved. You're going to receive it in full. Alan has received it in full. Okay, hallelujah indeed. Past, present, future. When we take bread and wine together, we're remembering that the future is very, this isn't an orange advert, very, very, very bright. The future is very bright. Very bright indeed. Phil Moore says the Lord's Supper, he's my favourite at the moment, the Lord's Supper is also at its heart an expression of victory. It's a victory cry. It's a victory cry. Jesus has won complete victory and this victory is eternal. We now have eternal life and we will have eternal life. It's incredible. Have you ever thought about it just for a moment? You probably have. What's it going to be like? Eternity with Jesus. It's going to be incredible. So taking bread and wine... We look forward to the kingdom to come, the future that is coming. And in Matthew we see this. It says in verse 29, I tell you the truth, I tell you, Jesus says, I will not drink of this fruit. I'm not going to drink this cup again with you until the day I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. He's looking to the future. I'm drinking it now, tomorrow I'm on the cross. But then when I come again, when you come to be with me, we're going to drink it anew. There's a coming kingdom. That's what we belong to. A kingdom that's here, that is expanding and one that will finally crash in and come. In 1 Corinthians, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This kingdom is amazing. This kingdom is where there's going to be complete forgiveness, complete restoration, complete peace, complete healing, <laughs> complete joy, completeness. So when we take it, we say, oh boy, I can't wait for that day. I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you're changing me. And I thank you that one day you're coming back for me. And I can't wait for that day. Come, Lord Jesus. That's what it says, last few words of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus. Do you ever pray like that? Come, Lord Jesus. Last heading. It's going to be much shorter. I've already said it's not an empty, meaningless tradition. We don't just go through the muse, muse, the the movements, the, the ritual. Who is it for? Who is this for? The Lord's Supper is for those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. While I'm summarising these last few points, can I ask the band to please come up? Who is it for? Those that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Those that have genuinely encountered the life-changing, the life-saving grace of the Lord and Saviour. It's not for those that just go to church with respect. It's not for just churchgoers. 
It's not for those that are slightly interested, like baptism. You don't baptise someone that's a little bit interested. You get someone wet that has put their faith in Christ. The same with bread and wine. That the person confesses him Lord and Saviour. Bread and wine is also done as family. We do it as family of God together. We, as weird as this might seem to some of you, we are a family. And Paul preached on that, didn't he, a few weeks ago. How families interact with each other. We do it as family. We're never intended to do it in a vacuum. As we see here, Jesus handed his disciples one cup and he told them to drink from one cup and drink it together. He said, drink from it, all of you. The Apostle Paul also says in Corinthians, because there is one loaf, we who are many form one body. We form one family here. And in Corinthians, sorry, in Acts, it says the disciples, the believers, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to it. There was this heart of, do you know what, let's do this together. That's what, in a few moments, we're going to worship. In a few moments, I want us to do it as a family, as individuals, but as part of a family. We stand separate before God, individually before him, but we come corporately joined together, and I want us to come together going, let's do this together. Let's do this together as one family, one family of God. So in summary, what is the Lord's Supper? It's a regular, ongoing reminder of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. How should we take it seriously? And we should celebrate every step of the way. You can have that tension. We celebrate the victory won, past, present and future. And who is it for? It's for you and for me. It's for those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The Passover was limited to the Jews. The Lord's Supper is for all of us. I'm going to read this quote and then we're going to sing our socks off. This is what Phil writes. So eat and drink the Lord's Supper as often as you can. Enjoy it in large Sunday meetings and like in Acts, enjoy it regularly and informally with others in your home. Jesus turned the old covenant Passover meal into a new covenant Lord's Supper to provide you with a potent reminder of the message of the cross. Feast often, feast deeply, remembering its threefold meaning. We are graciously saved through Christ's work alone. We are completely victorious through Christ's work alone. And we are united as brothers and sisters through Christ's work alone. Let's stand together as we pray. When we come to breaking bread and wine, I will get back up and direct us. I'm going to pray. And then after I've prayed, if you have children... Please go and pick them up from the children's work and we're going to come back together as a family and break bread. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the victory of the cross. I thank you that the cry this morning again is, it is finished. You have done it all. Lord, as we look at the Lord's Supper, as we look at breaking bread together, we remember you killed past for our sins. We remember the cross present, the victory of the cross and we remember one day we will be with you in eternal glory because of the cross. Because you're alive today. So Lord Jesus, I pray would you change hearts and minds for your good name's sake. Amen.